Even though it's 2023 and so much has evolved, there's still so much focus on appearance and body image. People will make a comment about your appearance and yeah. you kind of, you take that and you put it in your suitcase and you carry it with you and you will pattern match back to those things and tell yourself these things and then that makes up your perception of how you see yourself moving forwards and it's toxic. So I think it's definitely powerful when people use their platforms online to almost jolt those thoughts in your mind to actually question what you're telling yourself on a daily basis and try to stop you from doing it moving forwards. This is The Summit by Fearless Adventures. I'm Dominic McGregor and every week my co-founder David Nunes and I will be talking to inspirational leaders about their experiences as they strive towards their summit. Welcome, today I'm joined by Steph Ellswood who is a content creator turned entrepreneur um, and is a little bit of a sober um, superstar I guess so I'm a little bit of a fangirl today so looking forward to sitting down and speaking to you. Um, you've kind of gone on this transition you started off as you know very passionate about dance completely ripped that rule book up and said no actually I'm going to be a content creator mm-hmm. and then now you're on the transition to entrepreneur like how did these stages of the journey happen and how did you feel at them? If I'm honest it's happened completely by accident and completely authentically so I trained as a dancer for majority of my childhood into my teens went into the industry in my late teens, early 20s, and struggled throughout with mental health issues. It's a very toxic industry for body image, appearance, and there's a lot of pressures, especially on women. I really, really struggled in the industry, and I actually reached out for help around the age of 16 and received therapy for it. And I was asked to keep a food diary to monitor the nutrition that I was gaining or the calories that I was eating, And I found it all very stressful. So instead, I decided to start taking pictures of my food, getting excited about food again and sharing it to a private account on Instagram. And I remember I changed it from private to not private. I reached 99 followers and I ran into my school canteen and just screamed, someone follow me. I want 100 followers. So my friend Ryan clicked follow and said, you should really document. Why wasn't he following you before? Well, I kept it a secret. So like I didn't really want anyone to know. I was a bit embarrassed and... And he was like, you should share your journey, share your story and share your recovery. And I thought, oh God, no, like I, I can only post my avocado toast. That's all people care about. So I started to open up gradually over time, started to post more about myself, my lifestyle and started to gain a bit of a following. And it wasn't until I'd grown to about 15,000 followers. And, and don't get me wrong, like I have ticked off bucket list goals in the performing arts industry. Like I danced with... Dua Lipa at the Brit Awards, which is an incredible experience. And I danced as a backing dancer on Britain's Got Talent with one of my dream choreographers. And it was amazing, uh, but I still wasn't happy. I wasn't happy in myself. I was questioning my appearance, questioning my ability, turning up to auditions and being sent away just for the way that I looked or not fitting a brief or not being tall enough. And they were all things that I couldn't necessarily change. How do you deal with like having those highlights, you know, dancing with Dua Lipa and yeah. you know, being Britain's Got Talent, which are like, story but moments you know people there people some people's life's goals but you're not happy it's kind of part and parcel with the industry like you could be in a job for six months and then out for two years just because you're not the right fit and it is something that I think majority of performers struggle with and it's amazing highs but huge lows and I don't think I dealt with it well at all so when I had an opportunity to either go to Asia and see Asia doing a dance tour um, was that like anything bigger interesting? No. No? No, it was going to be to be part of a My Little Pony musical. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah. And the only reason that I wanted to do it was because it was a credit for my CV and you need credits to be able to work. And I thought it would be a great way to travel the world. But luckily, around the same time, an opportunity came in. I think I had around 15,000 followers at the time. And Nike approached me and asked if I'd want to be the face of their social campaign for six months. So I was sat there with two opportunities in front of me, one in an industry that I'd trained since I was four years old for. I would go away, I would do this credit, but I'd come back and be in no better position, really. Or this complete unknown industry that I have no experience in, no credentials in, but I can kind of suss it out, give it a go and see what happens. And that's the route I chose. So I wasn't in My Little Pony. You were in My Little Pony. No, didn't make it. (laughs) Apart from the My Little Pony bit, how does it feel, you know, turning your back on something which you were kind of, you know, was your North Star, which was you were working your entire life towards? Because now we've got people who are like career jobs who are looking to try to retrain or, you know, go on different paths. And people get really scared. You know, change isn't nice. How did you feel at such a young age making such a decision to be like, sorry, I've, you know, I've spent 16 years or so doing this, but it's not for me anymore? Do you know what? I really struggle with that because my identity for so long had been, hi, my name's Steph. I'm a dancer. I'm a full-time dancer. I, I was so proud of who I was, which is so ironic considering how unhappy I was. And it's taken me a long time to kind of let go and grieve that past self and actually respect myself for making a decision that was better for me, better for my mental health. And an abundance of opportunities have come from that one decision. And it's reframing that mindset that actually all of the skills that I learned through performing arts are all transferable into this industry and into everyday life. In essence, social media is performing. You're filming yourself, you're speaking to camera. And I think I've definitely learned a lot of skills and it's taken a good few years to reframe it and kind of realign my identity with this new career path. It's it's so important because I think think the most key thing anyone can have right now is resilience Mm -hmm. and like judging by what you've gone through in like your early early years like that resilience is like real. Thank you. It's hard on social media because the good days are curated but also so are the bad days so I try and be as honest as possible but at the end of the day I'm still choosing what to say. It's not like I'm having a breakdown in my bedroom and live streaming it so Everything is curated and that is one thing that I will say that just don't compare yourself to anyone because your journey is so unique. You started to build this foundation of working with Nike and I'm assuming other brands come into you. Mm -hmm. But why did you make that transition and how did you make that transition to become like, no, I'm actually going to do something for myself? It was never a pinpoint moment where I made a decision, but there was always this kind of buzzing around me that I have no idea where this industry is going and I don't know if this is forever for all of us and I don't know... There's no kind of expectation of my future. So I kind of... Didn't see yourself retiring as a creator? I don't see myself being a creator in my 80s. No, I I love it, don't get me wrong. And I love the perks of the job and the creativity and all of that stuff. But I don't know if it's what I want to do forever. And I kind of had this feeling that there was more and there was more that I could do with the following and the corner of the internet that I'd built. But I didn't know what it was. And it wasn't really until... COVID and lockdown, where there was a huge transition in terms of content creation. There was the rise of TikTok. People were focused more on video content. Instagram launched Reels. And around brands and brand campaigns, I really pivoted my focus on how can I push this brief to an extreme? How can I be more creative? How can I make it more entertaining for my followers? And around that time, a lot of people struggled with mental health issues. And I could feel that in my DMs from what I was seeing, from my own personal experience. And I was actually approached by a health company 
and they wanted to release an influencer app. And I've seen influencer apps out there and I think they're amazing, but they're for a very niche target demographic of people that want to change their bodies, change their appearance and get fitter. But what about the people who don't see themselves in those bodies? I think a lot of influencer apps launch with a beautiful woman in a sports bra and leggings with an aspirational figure and say, if you want to look like me, you have to train like me and eat like me, which just isn't possible. And I kind of wanted to create something that was different to the noise that was happening over here in the sense that any woman signing up, the core message is you are enough exactly as you are. You are unique exactly as you are. Here are some helpful hints on how to get healthier and be the healthiest and happiest version of you rather than trying to aspire to be like someone else because you will never be them. I don't want to just add to the noise. I don't want to add to the diet culture. I don't want people to feel that they need to change themselves or anything like that. So we kind of looked at the gaps in the market. And when we saw those gaps, I was like, this is my purpose. Um, I've worked on so much over the last seven years. My messaging has evolved. Um, My own mental health has evolved. How can we take those lessons and learnings and put it into a hub for women who have no idea where to start? Mm -hmm. And that's how the app Enough was born. What do you think is causing the kind of increase in the mental health crisis at the moment, especially in women? I think there's just so much pressure, so much noise. We're glued to our phones and everyone is just sharing the highlights or even if they're sharing the lowlights, it's still curated. So comparison is just tenfold. And I think there's obviously so many struggles. Women are still naturally very caregiving, but they're also pursuing careers. There's so much aspiration to look a certain way. There's so much messaging, even though it's 2023 and so much has evolved. There's still so much focus on appearance and body image. And it's really hard to escape as a woman. Like I understand that men get it too, but as a woman, it is so hard to escape. Mm. And there's a handful of people in the space that are doing amazing, amazing work. But majority of wellness plans, apps, diets, workout videos, they start by showing a woman who lives in a thinner or stronger body and saying, if you want to look like that, you need to do this. Rather than coming from the perception of, you're actually amazing as you are, you're unique as you are, that's something to be celebrated in and of itself. But here are some tools that you can add to your toolbox to help you to be a healthier and happier version of you, rather than aspiring to be someone that you are never going to look like because you are not them. And that was kind of our entire ethos and why behind starting the app. And do you think that historically the market has completely played on female insecurity? Absolutely, without a shadow of of a doubt. And being in the industry that I was originally in, body image was everything. I remember being in a ballet class when I was 16 and my ballet teacher telling me that I had saggy knees and giving me exercises. Saggy knees? Saggy knees. Is that like a ballet thing or is that, can you actually have saggy knees? I have no idea. Still to this day, I don't actually understand what that comment meant. But she would give me exercises and I'd be the mug before ballet every day doing those exercises. For your saggy knees? For my saggy knees, yeah. But now I get my knees out freely, so the sag is free. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's I've just, there's always comments like that or... People will make a comment about your appearance and you kind of, you take that and you put it in your suitcase and you carry it with you and you will pattern match back to those things and tell yourself these things and that internal monologue in your mind will repeat all of these negative opinions that aren't even your own opinions of yourself and then that makes up your perception of how you see yourself moving forward and it's toxic. So I think it's definitely powerful when people use their platforms online to almost jolt those thoughts in your mind actually question what you're telling yourself on a daily basis and try to stop you from doing it moving forwards. Nothing is a quick fix. 
And I think that's what we all need to understand. And unfortunately, with seven second reels and our attention spans getting shorter and smaller, it's it's harder to kind of push that messaging that things take time. But it's so important to know that if you're putting in the work a little bit every day, a year from now, you can be in a completely different place. You've done a lot of this for your experience. Yeah. How do you think your experiences have shaped this, obviously, with, you know, from a young age in dancing with pressure and all the way through now to sobriety? How do you think your story is unique? Um, I think I think a lot of dancers will probably relate to what I'm about to say. So I've been struggling with with mental health since the age of about 14. I've been aware of my yeah, I went to a full time dance school at 14 and I became aware of my body image that early competition pressure. Yeah, there was mirrors everywhere in every Mm -hmm. single class. It's also the kind of age where you're developing from a teenager into a young woman and some people develop faster than others. Um, And I really struggled with my appearance in the mirror. I really struggled with body image and that led to further mental health issues. So I struggled with an eating disorder on and off for about nine years, um, which was horrible and really tough to process. And other mental health issues have crept up along the way, anxiety, depression, and you can't help but feel like you're failing when they arise. Obviously, you first mentioned about feeling at 14. When did you actually start? Because from my point of view, mm-hmm. the biggest issue, the biggest period of time when I was causing myself the most damage when I was, was when I was unsure what was going on. Mm-hmm. So when you were 14, you kind of started to feel it. When did you actually were aware that this is what's happening? So when I was about 16 during my GCSEs was when the visible appearances of my eating disorder started to show. So my hair started falling out. I was very thin. My skin was very grey. I had minimal energy. And it was kind of an intervention with friends, mums of friends and my parents. And it was a bit of a reality check. I then changed dance schools after my GCSEs and went to a new dance college, which felt like a fresh start. But unfortunately, I relapsed again in my second year. And that's where I really became aware of the issue. So I was passing out in dance classes. My hair was falling out again. I was very thin. Um, mistress at the time said, if you don't speak to your parents about what you're doing to yourself, we're going to have to ask you to leave this school. And that to me was the biggest alarm bell because my parents had fought so much for me to be there. I'd worked so hard to get a place there. And my mum and I went to a GP for some advice. And I have blanks in my memory during that time I think because I was so malnourished I was so stressed I was so underweight there's just blanks in my memory maybe I've just blocked out the trauma but I don't have a clue what I said in that GP office my mum wasn't allowed in Um, I was 16 at the time and they rushed me through the NHS process and I went to see them in the November and I was receiving help by the January and that was when I became aware that this was an issue In the waiting room at the Maudsley Hospital, I saw a woman who was probably three times my age and she was skeletal, minimal hair, minimal teeth. And I literally felt like I was looking into my future. Mm. And it was that penny drop moment that I realised what I was actually doing was detrimental to my health. And that was the first session where I actually opened up to my therapist and was honest. Mm. I think I'd been avoiding it, thinking that I'm just just ticking a box going to therapy and was going to carry on doing the same thing. Like you say, when, when, when you don't know it's an issue, you're actually doing it because it's, you think it's making you feel better. Mm-hmm. So you're actually yeah. you're punishing yourself, but you actually think you're rewarding yourself because you actually think you're doing the right thing. Yeah, and the more people say, oh, you've lost weight or you're looking painfully thin, 
your mind somehow flips that into being a positive yeah and your clothes start to feel bigger and you praise yourself for that and it works in recovery as well when people were saying you look really healthy I was like they're calling me fat I was mm. probably still ridiculously thin but in my mindset I was like no I need to stop eating again because they're calling me fat yeah and it's really tough to go through and, and, and mental health recovery is not linear. I can't say that from that moment of seeing that woman, I just, it was an uphill climb because it wasn't. But I am really grateful for the lessons that I learned through recovery, through the copious amounts of therapy that I've had, because it's now made me at a point where I recognise my own emotions. I understand what I need. And when those down days do come, I kind of have those tools or those questions to ask myself. I'm really intrigued by this area because... You know, people who have really been through trauma, they're the one, best ones that give advice because mm-hmm. they've, they've experienced it. You know, I think people are a little bit like glow sticks. You know, the ones you used to at school. Yeah. When you snap them, you've got to snap them and they, then they shine. Mm-hmm. How do you feel like about that? Because, like, when you go through such horrible things that like you've been through, it, it makes you really become a better person. And when you're trying to give advice, how do you, like, manage people who, you know, are being destructive but are probably not at the point in there where they're at the bottom. How do you find that? It's really tough. I like to think that I create a safe space for people. So I do have a lot of people coming to me with their concerns and things like that. And I'm very empathetic towards them. But one question I always ask is, what do you need? Because some people just need a sounding board. Like, I don't want to come to someone with this superiority complex. Like, I've struggled with my mental health, so I know what you need. Because I don't always, need, I don't always have the answers. However, if they want someone to listen to, I'll be that. If they want someone's advice, I'll be that. If they want someone's opinion, I'll be that. Um, But also now I have contacts in terms of like different charities to recommend them to. Or I did a mental health first aid course, which gives you, again, more tools on how to give love, energy um, and empathy to the people that need it most. And I think everyone's mental health journey is unique and they have to find help when they're ready. It can't be forced on them. Mm. So I think it's just genuinely asking that question, what do you need right now? And sometimes people need to find their rock bottom because there is no way further down. I definitely found mine. And then breakdowns create breakthroughs. So I think sometimes... I love that. I love that, <laughs> I love that one. Sometimes people just have to go down their own path and, and be a bit self-destructive, but you just have to constantly remind them that they are loved and supported the entire time. So powerful. And I think people will take a lot of comfort in, in hearing that and like you say, go into rock bottom and go into a point where you don't think there's an answer is the moment actually when life can begin. Yeah, and I also think understanding that no one is the finished article, like even these polished, beautiful people that you see on Instagram will still have struggles. Everyone's struggles are relative, but no one is the finished article at any point. Even someone that's been through therapy and been through recovery, like I got therapy last year, and at first, when I accepted that help, I thought, oh, God, I'm going back 10 steps. But actually, sometimes you need to bend your knees to jump up again. So you do go back. But then you learn so much along the way. And I don't think anyone that has been through struggle would want to take that away with the lessons that they've learned from it. Yeah, it's the whole point about would you remove the most painful moment of your life? No, because you forget everything that you learned from it. Yeah, that's such a good way to look at it. And I think a lot of people probably hold maybe resentment or um, a little bit of struggle to their rock bottom, thinking it's the day they failed. But you're so right. It is the day where your entire life can begin again and you can make beautiful connections and beautiful memories after that day. Completely agree. So you've got enough, the app, which isn't enough for you because you're launching something else, aren't you? (laughs) Yes, I am. am. So you've got got, got a sample here. I've had a a little bit. Tell me about Karoo's. 
So I have been on a similar journey to you with sobriety. And I do get worried that sometimes I come across as being quite restrictive because I follow a plant-based diet, I don't drink. And these are all decisions that I've made for my own health rather than to contribute to diet culture or the unrealistic standards of everything going on for women right now. But for me, stopping drinking was the best decision I ever made because of the anxiety that it would bring Mm -hmm. me, the down days it would bring me after big drinking nights, the expense that you spend on alcohol, cabs, whatever it might be. And I've been sober now for, I want to say four years, and I've tried every non-alcoholic spirit on the market. And I'm going to be honest, I don't have a favourite. My go-to drink is probably now a ginger beer and lime. Mm -hmm. And I just think that there was a gap in the market as well for luxurious looking bottles with liquid that actually tastes nice. I think sometimes they're so botanical or they're so flavourless that you're spending money and not really understanding why just because you don't want to miss out on the excitement of measuring a shot and pouring it in and adding some mixer. So I've actually gone into business with my dad, my brother and my manager. Mm -hmm. And together we've come up with the name, the design and the recipe. And we've kind of gone down two routes. So there's ingredients called adaptogens that help your body adapt to stress. They're natural extracts. And we have come up with drift and uplift. So drift is a combination of um, summer fruits and other adaptogen ingredients that make you feel calmer. And uplift is more of a ginger, um, citrus-based drink that's got the warmth of chili in it. So when you drink it, you feel like you've got the warmth of a rum or something going down. So it feels... It feels more than a cordial or a squash, but less than an alcohol. And we wanted to create something that tastes amazing over ice, amazing with just soda water or amazing mixed into a cocktail. And that's why we came up with it. We also noticed that a lot of the brands have an extortion amount of preservatives in. So we have come up with a mini that doesn't have preservatives in and then a slightly larger one that needs it for the shelf life. And I'm just really excited by it because... I'm hoping that with the brand, with the branding, the messaging that we have planned for it, that it can get people who are kind of in that sober curious space, trying a few alcohol free nights, trying our brand, seeing what we're about and just realising that you don't have to miss out on life's excitements Mm. just because you've removed a toxic substance from your life. Where would you put yourself on the kind of like when you stop drinking Mm -hmm. on the sober curious like alcoholic person with a problem or just like fancy to change where, where would you say you were on the spectrum I wouldn't say that I had um an alcohol issue like it wasn't I was waking up and thinking about alcohol or I had to drink every single day but I also didn't always get paralytic every time I went out but I definitely had self-confidence issues that were masked by alcohol so mm-hmm. if I was going out there was a time around 2017 2018 where I was quite a party girl going out a few nights a week um being the fun stupid one that would just make a tit of herself to impress everyone else and that was definitely spurred on by alcohol Mm -hmm. so it wasn't really in the drinking state where I felt like I had an issue it was more the day after I'd wake up and be like what did I do what did I say who did I offend did I embarrass myself and that anxiety could sometimes last three or four days so it was more so that I became sober curious from those anxieties um and then just decide to, decided to make the change and just haven't looked back since. Did you say, I'm not going to drink again and then never drink again? I said, I was going on holiday and I said, I'm not going to drink for this holiday and see how I feel. And it was like a three week traveling around Bali. I sound so cliche and influenced. They went to Bali and found themselves. But I was there for three weeks and 
in any situation where I usually have a drink, I had a fresh coconut or a mocktail mm. and I came back and I had so much clarity. Obviously, you usually do after a holiday anyway. And I was like, I'm just not going to drink anymore. So I didn't. Came back, felt rejuvenated. I felt so confident in social situations because I'd made that final decision and I just haven't drunk since. So isn't it so funny that you were having confidence issues so you chose to drink? Yeah. And then all your confidence issues were solved when you stopped drinking? Exactly. That's the one thing I say about alcohol is that not drinking gives you everything you think drinking gives you. It's so true. And, and you remember those core memories with the people that you care about most, which in reality, when you go out, you're going out with your friends to have an amazing time, but then you can't remember any of it. Mm. So I, I feel like I've gained so much more from not drinking. Yeah, I went out on Saturday and I literally yesterday felt hungover. Really? What, I, just from... I was just like, I was out to like, it was at charity do, I was out till like three o'clock and... Sunday I woke up like I feel terrible <laughs> I've lost like I've lost like all resilience though yeah because I've done it for so long like, so true when it happens when, when I don't get my nine hours sleep a night my life is just like chaotic yeah so I'm like carnage so yeah it is so much easier to kind of build those routines so much easier when it's not disrupted by heavy nights of drinking when I stopped drinking the number one reason people would fail is because of peer pressure mm-hmm. and people would feel like a little bit left out because you could go to a bar and, you know, you'd be on water and it'd be visually different. So yeah. I think things like this are so important because it removes that first step of feeling, you know, a little bit anxious about not drinking. And you can feel like you're holding a drink, which tastes nice. People want to try and you feel part of a environment instead of feeling disenfranchised. It's so true. And I think if you can get past that first drink moment and the first hour of a social situation, you can last the entire evening. I think if you have those two mindsets of saying no to a first drink when someone goes, oh, go on, have one, and then the first hour of that occasion, you'll be laughing because then no one else even realises because everyone else is out having a good time anyway. You've achieved so much already in such a short space of time and you know, you're obviously such a driven person and I can see it in you, you know, the passion in your eyes and how you talk about things. What are you working towards? What's the summit? Um, that's such an interesting question because I actually delved into a lot of therapy last year a therapy called human givens where it gives you the nine human needs that Mm. you need to feel a whole and happy person and I think my summit is being able to meet all of those needs within myself and one of them is community so one of my favorite phrases is lift as you climb so as you're progressing further in your career as you're gaining new knowledge you bring people along with you because it's so much more beautiful to enjoy the experience with people surrounding you so As much as I'm driven in business, social media, careers, and all of that stuff, it's more so being, it's more so finding contentment throughout that entire journey, rather than getting to the point where maybe my businesses have taken off and I'm successful on paper. It's enjoying that journey and enjoying the climb. Well, it goes back to the Brits, doesn't it? Yeah. That Brit moment for you was on paper to someone or something, but reality it wasn't. Exactly. So, you know, you're searching for something which isn't, existential it's inside you so I, I really believe that and I think you're definitely going to find it thank you I hope so congratulations on everything you've achieved congratulations on four years sobriety and I'm looking forward to seeing what you do in the future thank you thank you so much for having me and to everyone that's listening don't forget to like comment and share and if you've got anyone you want to speak to or if you've got any feedback on the episode or anything that might have triggered you um, we'll put some links in there below to be able to get some help <laughs>